0: Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Network listeners. This is Bruce Neal host of Pharmacy Crossroads with a shout out to Medela Springs Healthcare. This remarkable new company has developed some unique, professionally recommended OTC products, products you can stock and recommend with confidence. Check them out at medelasprings.com. That's Medela, M-E-D-E-L-L-A, Medellasprings.com. Thank you.
1: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Sex PharmD podcast with your host, Dr. Nadia Archambault, licensed clinical pharmacist and certified sex therapist. With a focus on women's sexual health and wellness, Dr. A is here to cover important health topics and answer all of your questions about subjects that can be applied to pharmacy practice. And now, here's Dr. A. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sex PharmD. I am very, very excited for our guest today, uh, Dr. Allison McGregor, Professor of Emergency Medicine, Associate Dean of Clinical Faculty Affairs and Development at University of South Carolina School of Medicine at Greenville, and author of Sex Matters, How Male-Centric Medicine Endangers Women's Health and What We Can Do About It. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I really appreciate you being here today, Dr. McGregor.
0: Thank you, Dr. Achembald. It is such a pleasure of mine to help get this message out to your audience. So thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, I love your book. I have it right here. And I actually gifted it um, to a lot, a bunch of my girlfriends for as a Christmas gift. Part of the Christmas gift. That's wonderful. That's thank you
0: so much. I hear a lot of people also gift it to their doctors which I think is oh, a really good, a good, a good idea. idea. Right. Exactly. Just to That's pass a along really the education. Idea.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. It's got the catchy cover and everything. I really, really, really well done. Thank um, you. so I wanted to, of course, we're going to talk about your book, but I wanted to first kind of, if you want to just tell us about your, your background and, um, you know, how you got here and, and what inspired you to write the book also?
0: Yes um I've been working as an emergency medicine physician for 18 19 years now and when I first started I was noticing the fact that women all um often didn't receive um, uh, the best care it just seemed that medicine didn't fit their bodies um they would be more likely to have medication side effects and just have lots of uh, medical conditions that didn't seem to have a a diagnosis or a definition. Um, And so when I started to look into that, I realized there's this concept that men and women are different from the biological sex, the sex chromosomes, XX if you're biological female, XY if you're biological male, um, and then our gender identity. Um, And so by not taking those into account, um, we basically studied men and used that information to translate to everybody. Um, and so, as I was really starting to find this very interesting, this um, and just how biased our medical system was, um, I began to do lots of research in this area and started publishing in scientific papers. I authored a textbook. Um, I was the lead editor for the textbook, uh, Sex and Gender in Acute Care Medicine. Um, and I was really feeling as though there's um, movement being made and, and um, working towards um, a change in policies and guidelines. Um, and then I would show up for a clinical shift and realize that nothing has really changed. Um, it just takes such a long time to translate any new evidence into actual patient care and medicine. It's just the, the trajectory is very long. And so I thought, well, let me write a book for lay women, um, uh, lay people, just so they could start to understand the bias in their um, medical system and what they can do about it uh, today to try to get the best out of the medical and healthcare system.
1: I think it's, it's so wonderful that you opened your mind up to that whole perspective. I feel like we, we almost don't think about it as women, where everything came from, as far as dosing and medicine in general, where it started with, with male medicine. So it's interesting having that. I feel like a lot of people don't have that perspective on it, or they don't even think about it that that's right. where it came from
0: even physicians yeah. and scientists mm-hmm. and um and the population uh, really thought that we took all of this into account but during the 1970s when we really started creating the scientific method and um, you know, having rules for, uh, uh, um, you know, evidence-based medicine, um, that was a time that women were considered a protected subject because if they were to get pregnant during the study, mm-hmm. um, that would be very risky. So um, so women were excluded from all clinical research trials and, um, you know, except for the things that they couldn't study in men, which is reproductive issues in women. And so that really became the definition of women's health. Um, it's just their reproductive issues, uh, um, you know, solely, um, and the rest of our medicine and our understanding of cancer and stroke and heart attacks were really based on, uh, men and mostly white men.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as, relating this to you know we have a lot of pharmacists listening to this uh these podcast episodes what advice would you have for them as far as staying involved with their female patients in some states we're, we're actually now able to prescribe things like oral contraceptives and so some pharmacists are prescribing with you know also with collaborative practice agreements with uh, other physicians um what advice would you have for them
0: uh, I think that's wonderful. And I really count on the pharmacists to uh, put together women's menstrual cycle, uh, whether they're on hormone um, uh, therapy for some reason or another, um, even for transgender, if it's gender affirming hormone therapy. What we do know is that uh, hormone uh, endogenous or exogenous actually do affect the body's uh, pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of medications. Um, and so we don't really take that into account when we're prescribing. Um, and I think that that's an area for great improvement. Sometimes during someone's menstrual cycle, <clears throat> the luteal phase, um, you know, their hormones can alter the metabolism of the drug so that it becomes ineffective. Um, and we see this with things like uh, anti-epileptics. Um, and so women might have a breakthrough seizure during that time, um, where if we could tailor the medication to, okay, you take this dose during this part of your menstrual cycle, you take this dose during this part, we can really have an effective dose range with the lowest um, you know, concerns for adverse events. So I think really considering the hormonal cycle for women, um, is, is going to be critical. Um, and we think about that also during pregnancy, um, all of these, um, you know, huge surge in estrogen during pregnancy, these things change your renal blood flow. They change your body fat, um, uh, you know, process. And I think that taking these t- things into account when we prescribe is, is very important.
1: Absolutely. Great. Thank you for that. And, and I know that our listeners will appreciate a lot of this also, now, I know you were just talking about um, with prescribing in the transgender community. Um, what risk factors do you see depending on medications you're taking? I know that in your book you talked about um, for transgender women, individuals born with male sex characteristics who are transitioning or have transitioned are more likely to experience female pattern coronary disease, for example, which you know I think is a really great point. And and I know you talked about different things in in the book also. So as far as that, um, what are the risk factors that you're seeing right now that are important to educate our patients on?
0: Yeah, that's a great question because if we think about taking exogenous hormones for um, gender-affirming therapy, um, that's something that has really not been tested. Um, So most of this is done uh, off-label. Um, if you're taking puberty blockers, these things are not studied. Um, and if they are, they're small studies. There's no large scale prospective studies. Um, and there's also no long-term data. So what's happened when a transgender individual is taking estrogen or anti-androgens or uh, testosterone for 20, 40 years? Um, so this is a real opportunity for us to make sure that we include this into our clinical research design. I think that from a pharmacist's point of view or a physician's point of view, really looking at the patient and um, deciding what is their biological sex, what is their gender identity, and mm-hmm. what is their hormone um, profile. Because then you can really personalize your care. So if you have um, a transgendered woman, um uh, is an example I use that comes mm-hmm. in with chest pain. Um, as a doctor, I have to think, okay, her coronary arteries um, have the genetic makeup of X, Y of a biological male sex. Um, but because she considers herself a woman in society, um, she's going to have different, uh, characteristics, um, that I should expect that, um, women's women's needs, like they usually like to discuss treatment plans with family and friends. And, um, and then if they're taking, uh, estrogen, then I can add that into my thought process. So I think, you know, one of the first things we need to do is, consider each patient to be um, a unique individual and yes. um, use science to be able to make the appropriate recommendations. Um, and of course, that means we need science to actually consider these things. And so um, you know, there's a real push to make sure that science and uh, researchers Um, you know, enroll um, uh, diverse populations, um, you know, and, and study them in particular and to make sure that it's analyzed uh, differently. So if you have a a clinical trial and you bring women in uh, 50 women and you bring 50 men um, that's not, that's not it anymore. We need to make sure that we, then we'll be blending the results. Uh, We need to make sure that we analyze things uh, separately. So I think that in our future, we'll have much more data if we start to take some of these into account so that we can make really um, informed decisions for, for this population.
1: Yeah. And I think what, what you just said is so perfect with treating the individual, because now it's it's not about looking at a clinical trial. It's not about just looking at general guidelines. We have to really treat the individual because every individual is so unique with what they're doing. If it's if it's, uh someone in the transgender community or someone with other risk factors and things like that. I think that's the key for sure with, with the future of medicine is treating each person looking at them as an individual.
0: Absolutely. And then having the, um, uh, the, that, um, research to be able to apply to that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one paper, and I don't know the name of it offhand, but I can um, s- send it to you for the show notes. Great. Um, is It was it was published by uh, a group of pharmacists, and they looked at um, transgender individuals and controls that were cisgender. Um, and they looked at if the transgender folks were on hormone-affirming uh, um, therapy, and they checked the... Cre- Clearance, and over six months, the creatinine clearance of those on hormone therapy changed to that of the gender that they're transforming into. So their point was, um, electronic medical records in hospitals should be also um, collecting this data, so that the pharmacist, when they're reviewing the patient's Uh, record. And when a doctor prescribes uh, orders a a medication, they can say, oh, but they're on uh, testosterone and they've been on it for uh, Mm -hmm. six months. So perhaps we should change um, the medication based on the creatinine clearance and the changes in um, body water. And so I I've, I found that to be fantastic and interesting and just, a, a, um, you know, demonstrates the need to consider these things in research and in our uh, recommendations to patients.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So many good things. <laughs> oh,
0: we could, I know I could <laughs>
1: keep going. That's so many for good sure. things. Um, one thing in your book I, I I thought this was so fascinating um and so true uh where you were talking about a patient who was experiencing pain due to a ruptured ovarian cyst and you talked about um Yentl syndrome in your chapter about men women and pain if you could just explain that to us our listeners I think this is so so important and it just it's you just hit it right on the nose with with exactly what happens with our female patients.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there and it's really important. Um so there was a film in the 19 early 1980s called Gentle that Barbara Streisand was a young Jewish woman who dressed up as a man just to be able to get education. And then um there's a physician Dr. Bernadine Healy who um uh wrote an editorial that described that um, syndrome, the Entel syndrome in in respect of um, women as patients, that if they look and act like men in their presentation of their disease, um, then they'll get treatment. But if they don't uh, pass as men, um, that they're Mm -hmm. often um, misdiagnosed or or thought that it's psychiatric. And that really cuts into the fact that Our research has focused on men, so our education of healthcare professionals, our education of pharmacists, our nursing and and physicians have been based on that evidence. And so we have been taught to look for male pattern diseases. Um, And so when women come into the office, the emergency department, the hospital, and they don't look or act like men. Um, the, 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 you know, we, most people just don't know what to do. Um, so, um, so then they get less likely to have evidence-based care. They're, they're more likely to have complications, um, even in surgery and in admission to hospitals. And so I think that, um, that's been the result of studying men. It's like, if you don't fit that pattern, then the entire healthcare system doesn't know really where you fit in. Now, for instance, you know, in how does that translate to to patient care? Um, You know, there is a patient with with the ruptured cyst that I uh, mentioned. And one thing I've noticed that women are often told um, their diagnosis is just oh, it's just a ruptured cyst. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that might be your third ruptured cyst that you diagnosed this week, but this is an individual who, um, who has their own crisis surrounding this, their own loss of work, their own psychi- psychological impact. There are risk of complications from a ruptured cyst that include bleeding and that could cause very um, you know, serious. Um, um. So I think that when, when it comes to women, oh, it's just you know something with your reproductive system, you're supposed. To be able to to you know grin and bear it um, without really understanding and valuing uh, women you know um, uh, as individuals and in, in society. So there's a uh, there's a lot to of, of work to be done. I think for women to get really unbiased um, uh, and you know state of the art medical care.
1: I couldn't agree more. It's just aist. Right. I, I mean, that is so true. It is so true. And maybe that, maybe that woman's trying to get pregnant, Right. You know, maybe maybe that, that's sure. devastating for her that exactly. she's going through this, let alone the pain. I feel, oh, that, is, that is so, that is it's so, so true. It's just your
0: period. Oh, it's mm-hmm. just your period. Well, I mean, they're debilitating like, a few days of, of the month for many women. Like let's, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've sort of blown it off, you know, for women as this is just our plight in life, um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, that's just devalues the, the amount of, um, uh, pain, as you mentioned, and, uh, you know, all these other, uh, elements, um, mm-hmm. that women go through with, when they're suffering from these. Yeah. Oh,
1: so, so, so true. Um, Well, I know that you have a a full day ahead of you. Before we wrap up, I wanted I do my top three. (laughs) I call it my top three. So as far as what are the top three takeaways you would have for our female listeners first, as far as their health and taking their health into their own
0: hands? Um, I, I and this is one of the reasons why I wrote the book Sex Matters is so that women could start to take control, uh, take control of their health record. So um, I think that making sure we know if we look at the evidence, women are more likely to have multiple specialists. They're more likely to be prescribed many different medications because people don't know what box they fit in. So um, it's not your heart, go see the gastroenterologist. Uh, It's not your stomach, go see the psychiatrist. It's your your musculoskeletal, go see the orthopedic. And so they end up with lots of specialists, lots of testing, lots of different medications. And so really um, taking ownership and, and making sure that you keep track of all of these uh, tests and prescriptions and your response to them, um, so that way you can um, make sure that you're not being um, just sent to just um, you know sent to go get another CAT scan, which is radiation, or you know um, you know just really sort of taking hold of what's what's happening, making sure that you have a doctor that you trust as as sort of the manager of all this. Um, the other thing is to ask lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is critical because as you know people like me try to uh, make science to uh, increase the evidence or work with the NIH or uh, the FDA to make sure that the guidelines are Or are, are working to have policy changes in Congress, um, you know, you don't have time to wait. And so all, every woman has a sphere of influence that that I say. And so if you are running a book club, if you're, um, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, in a curriculum committee meeting, if you are, you know, the director of a clinic, like these are opportunities for you to um, educate. But also, if you are a patient, and then when you go see your doctor, and your doctor prescribes medication for you, ask your doctor, you know, was this medication tested in women? Um, should I have a different dose? Should I be aware of different side effects? Um, you know, and that doctor may not know. But what you've done now is just, oh, yeah, well, I should probably look that up. And now that doctor will have that information for the next patient. And so um, I think, you know, really just making awareness. Um, And then Mm -hmm. the the third um, thing is to um, advocacy. So um, be an advocate or bring one. So I see um, women when they bring someone else with them into the emergency department, it really helps because that person will say, they're not always like this, Um, you know, this isn't, I know they have anxiety, but I've known this person and they don't, um, you know, this is a big deal for them to be here or um, just to be able to um, listen to some of the information that you can't, uh, remember when you're the patient. So um, I, I think that um, basically, really making sure that you are aware of what's in your medical record, and keeping track of it, um, ask a lot of questions of your doctors, and then to make sure you have someone there with you that can um, help advocate for for your process uh, in in the system. Absolutely, I love that.
1: Okay, and then top three for our healthcare providers. The one and there'll be a lot of them listening. So what are some yeah, good pieces? I, right. So
0: um, uh, reiterating some things that I mentioned, with which is for each patient, and this is what I do when I teach residents and medical students, um, is... Um, stop and think what is their biological sex and what is their current gender identity and are mm-hmm. they on any hormones? Um, you know, we were taught in medical school to start every um, case presentation with, oh, I have a 36-year-old female who presents with, I have a 52-year-old male who presents with, and then we don't do anything about the gender that we just said. So mm-hmm. to stop and think, okay, um, biological sex, gender identity, and then what, right? Okay, so now mm-hmm. I figured this out. Um, There's this great website um, called uh, sexandgenderhealth.org. It's out of Texas Tech University Health Sciences and the Laura Bush Institute for Women's Health. Um, And they have a ton of resources for um, uh, healthcare uh, providers and educators. And there's this one that's a PubMed search tool. So it's been validated. And if you go through their site and through their resources and through their uh, PubMed database, it'll automatically populate PubMed with the search um, terms of sex and gender. Um, And then I put in, um, I do this at work. And then I put in, um, you know, I use that search bar, it populates, and then I put in appendicitis and it combs the literature and just gives me where um, being a man or a woman or a gender or the sex um, is related to appendicitis. Um, you put it in your, th- in your asthma, You put it in and you're looking at their Neurontin and you want to say, so it's, it's, it's helpful to comb all of this literature and be able to just bring out this new evidence that's being uh, developed right now that maybe you weren't taught when you were going through mm. your training. Um, so I love that tool. Um, yes,
1: that's, thank you so much for sharing that. That's fantastic. Yes, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah I've built whole electives about, around that wow. tool. And um, it's just um, an easy way to, to use it like during your clinical um, space.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then, you know, I think we're, you know, uh, healthcare providers, are, it's a lot of on the job training. Mm-hmm. And so we're always emulating our supervisor or, um, you know, our attending physicians are, um, you know, it's it's along that process. So just make sure that you realize you, you check your own biases because um, we all have them. Um, we were all born into a certain family and uh, um, you know we've been taught by our teachers and and we're trying to you know um, get the world the way that we've been told that uh, to view it. And so now when we become an adult, it's like, okay wait a minute, there's biases here that i was I was brought up with. Um, and so as you are educating um, you know uh, pharmacy students or you are um, you know giving a, a lecture, Make sure that you, um, you know, consider this process too, because the education piece I think is so important for long-term um, changes that are needed. Great, thank you so much.
1: That's fantastic. Um, so, where to find you? How does everyone find you? Social media, Instagram. Yes. Yes. How do they order your
0: book? Oh, that's great. <laughs> yes. Well, I do have a website. Um, It's allisonmcgregormd.com. And that links to my Instagram, my Twitter and Facebook. um, And it also links to um, uh, purchasing the book Sex Matters and uh, my TEDx talk um, as well. So it's the one stop shop. Um, so Great. yeah thank you perfect
1: yeah I follow you on Instagram too I love it and then oh cool then can they order the book on Amazon what's yep. the easiest oh, yeah. way to any,
0: order um, yeah Amazon any any online uh, book ordering system um, it's currently right now in five countries so that's really wow. exciting yeah that is and so a couple exciting languages so um, yes yeah, it, sh- it should be um, easily available
1: excellent yeah I am I um, I teach adjunct at Salve Regina, Regina University oh, yeah, in Rhode yeah, Island. Yeah. And this was on the that's shelf. Nice One of the professors, she had it on her bookshelf and that's, it just popped out to me and I was You're like, kidding. I need to read this book. Oh that's my how God. I, that's yeah.
0: wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah I love so it when cool. people um, send me photos of it, like in um, airport bookshelves. And yeah. uh, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. And I'll usually put those on Instagram. So I always get um, pleasantly surprised that it's uh it's it's sort of out there, and, and um, so I'm, I'm I'm happy about that. Thanks.
1: Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely brilliant. I think you're such a pioneer in medicine, and and I'm looking forward to seeing more for what you do in the future and how you help impact lives. Because I think what you're doing is so so important, especially now. Now is you know as much as ever, really. So
0: I think it's fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you for using your platform to amplify this message uh, for women everywhere. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: You have a great rest of your day. I know you get a busy day.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you.